Ask me anything on impeachment, the role of government, rights, foreign policy, and 2020 goals. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent. Wee, 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 wee. Ha, 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 ha. And you stay for the principles. And today's show is unique. Today's show, I have given you guys the power of what we talk about. So I said on last week's show, and I promoted a couple of times on social media, that this show was an Ask Me Anything, no holds barred. You can ask me about any topic you want, even politics. Whatever you guys wanted to hear, whatever you guys wanted to talk about, this is what this show is about. And you guys have a lot of questions. And I've done my best to go into the depth and to research these answers, because some of these topics I'm not 100% familiar with, um, like politics, like our first topic of the day. So unless you've been living under a rock, you uh, you saw the, the stage show in D.C. this week. Oh, but the world is but a stage. You had Nancy Pelosi, you had Adam Schiff, you had Jerry Nadler and all the other little minions come together and say, we have done our investigations, America. We have taken this process very seriously. We even studied the Constitution so we can make it to you how outraged we are about this is not what the framers intended. This is not what the Constitution stands for. And we take that oath of office and we take the Constitution and those framers. Yes, I know we said they're slaves, but now we're we're using the framers because it's our political advantage. And we have found that Donald Trump should be impeached. And we have two articles of impeachment that we are bringing to the House floor. One is for abuse of power because he is just so bad. And the second is for obstruction of justice. Don't you dare laugh, America. This is serious. So my first question was from a lady called Lisa who said, John, love your show. No, you don't do politics, but... I respect your opinion on our Constitution and someone who's an outsider who loves it. Got a couple of questions on the impeachment, and a lot of you had similar questions. First question, will the Democrats actually vote to impeach Donald Trump? Hell yeah. Yes, 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 yes. This is not in doubt. I know some people are going, oh my God, we're just going to censor him. No, they'll, they'll, they'll impeach him. There, there is no way this guy is not getting impeached in the House. There is not a chance. They literally said so from Inauguration Day. We're going to impeach him. We're going to impeach him. We're going to impeach him. It's it's a foregone conclusion. Can you imagine what the media would do to moderate Democrats who said, no, let's not impeach him. Let's just censure him. They'd go crazy. AOC might lose her mind even more. It would be funny. So, yes, they're going to impeach him. There's not a doubt in my mind. Now, take this with a grain of salt. I'm not a political guy. I don't follow your politics every day, but... I don't see any chance, any scenario, they don't impeach him. 
Then I got to the question of, well, they've issued these these impeachment uh, papers of abuse of power, obstruction of justice. Do I think, as someone who loves your constitution, he should be impeached? Is there anything here to these accusations? So let's break them down bit by bit. The first one is abuse of power because, you know, he was so nasty, so mean, he's so horrible. We're still hurt over Hillary Clinton losing in 2016. You know, this guy is just abusive. He's he's abused his power. He he got on the phone with the Ukrainian prime minister and, you know, basically said, I need you to get on the dirt on, on Joe Biden because he's running in 2020. And, you know, it's not in the national interest. You know, this is not what the framers intended. I love Democrats quoting the Constitution and the Founding Fathers. It just, oh, does it does it make your heart go all warm and fuzzy inside? Because if, if it does, you're the one. Because it just annoys me so much. Abuse of power. Is there any case there? I'll be honest with you. As I always am. Even when you might not like the answer. This is highly subjective. And let me explain why it is highly subjective. It is highly subjective because this is not based on anything other than not logic, not reason, not fact, but what you feel and what you think the intent of the president was. This all goes down to who is the judge, jury, and executioner in the case. And now, obviously, I'm I'm talking about just in general terms. Obviously, it's the chief justice. But it all boils down to the evidence and what you think the intent of President Trump was. I can see how people, if you're biased, who would look at that and go, there's not a chance he did anything wrong. I also get how you're biased and you go, he absolutely did something wrong. He absolutely was wrong. He shouldn't be, impe- he shouldn't be impeached. He should be impeached. Here's where I stand on it. I don't think it is an abuse of power. I do believe it was in the national interest to ask these questions about eight million, eight billion, eight billion. Like, oh my God, you guys spend so much money. I, I don't think you realize how much money you spend. Like, eight million is a lot of money. Like, I'll never earn eight, mi- I'll never even earn a million dollars, let alone eight. But we're not even talking about that. We're talking about eight billion dollars to Ukraine. If finding out where that is gone is not in the national interest, I don't know what is. We've discussed this on many, many different times in this show. Even though I don't do the politics, I, I try and talk it from a principal point of view. Also, if you actually read the transcript of the call, it wasn't just, hey, find out dirt for Joe Biden on me, for me, will you? He's running in 2020, and I need all the dirt I can get. It was a long th- list of things he discussed, all based around corruption. So, do I see a personally abuse of power? No. But as they got into the this discussion with this person about it, they got asked an interesting sub-question, which I'd answer. It was, if you were to, you know, if you had the president's ear and you were giving the president advice, what would you give? What advice would you give? And honestly, my gut reaction was, you know, look, you have to understand, Mr. President, it's a rigged game. The Democrats are out to get you. The media are out to get you. You have done something, whether you like it or not, that has really got under their skin. So be careful what you say. Don't say anything that, you know, can be perceived the wrong way. And that was my gut reaction. But then as I actually slept on it that night, I understood that that's actually horrible advice. 
Because effectively what I was saying was be like a politician. With the greatest respect, you know, maybe learn from like someone like Mike Pence. Be dull, be bland, be boring. And that would be actually horrible advice because it'd be horrible advice for two reasons. One, it's not who he is. I believe, you know, whether it's politics or outside of politics, be true to who you are. Be who you are. Speak how you speak. You know, some people, you know, like to embellish things. You know, some people like to tell great stories. Some people are, you know, no embellishment, no, you know, no adjectives, just literally straight to the point. That's who you are. Be who you are. Be the best you can be. But also, it's not who the American people voted for. The American people, whether you like it or not, there's a good chunk of them, like Donald Trump on Twitter, like, you know, Donald Trump, you know, been blunt on who he is, you know, that kind of New York attitude. Some people like that. Some people hate it, but some people like it. His supporters like it. So I'd be telling him to be everything that didn't bring him to the race. Be everything that, you know, be something else. That's horrible advice. So I don't know what advice I would give him. But I would say, be very careful. Been extra, you know, extra prudence is always a good thing. You will never, ever die because you were too prudent or too careful in what you say. You might miss out on opportunities, but you'll never die from it. The second article of impeachment is obstruction, which is, you know, let me just, let me be honest here for a minute. And let me be blunt. You know, for the Democrats, for all their reading of the Constitution and all their outrage about the framers and, oh my God, this is not what the framers intended. They really haven't understood the Constitution. Now, I know this is not news to any people listening to this show, but obstruction of Congress? Have you learned nothing from your readings of the Constitution? Obstruction of Congress does not exist. It is impossible. And this is not my opinion. This has been legal precedent, even though I don't like legal precedent. This is a long legal precedent in America, upheld by both administrations of both parties, whether you're Barack Obama or George Bush or Bill Clinton. This idea of co-equal branches of government, this idea where you have Article 1, Article 2, and Article 3, you have Congress, which is the House and the Senate, the legislative. You have the executive, which is Article 2, i.e. the presidency, and you have Article 3, which is the judiciary, which is the Supreme Court and the court system. How, if you have three co-equal branches of government, can you obstruct one? How can you say, how can the House say, you know, you've obstructed justice, you haven't had people testify before us? How can you obstruct it when you're like, hey, we're equal, we're the same thing? I'm not relying, I'm not responsible to you, I'm not, you know, you, I'm not to answer to you. It's co-equal branches of government. They are not answerable to each other, they are answerable to the Constitution, they are answerable to the American people, not each other. This idea of, well, we all have to get along. Grace, that's a great theory. That's in great in practice. Sounds wonderful. But it's not true. You have true, three co-equal branches of government. That is the idea. You cannot have obstruction of justice. So on the first one, it's subjective. I would lean no, and a strong no, but, you know, other people might listen to it. On the second one, it's laughable. It's laughable. It's so pathetic 
that the people who talk about the framers today and the constitution and not what the framers wanted didn't actually understood what the framers want. Then it comes to the next question. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't, I don't, I am crazy busy with my Irish job and I'm dealing with other stuff and a lot of other issues and trying to plan for 2020. So I don't get to listen to a lot of other talk radio and what other people are saying. But I got this question and I know Glenn has been talking about this. There's a lot of different opinions on, you know, a Senate trial. You know, if the, if house, the house impeaches Trump, should it go to a Senate trial? And there's a lot of mix and matching and a lot of different mixed signals from people like Mitch McConnell and Ted Cruz saying different things about, yes, there will be a trial. No, there won't be a trial. And they're calling, making lists and they're not making lists. Where would I stand on this? And I'll answer this in two different ways. The answer is the exact same. Absolutely. Absolutely, you have a Senate trial. Absolutely, 100%. This should not be in question. And I'll give you two reasons for it. One is a political answer, and two is a legal answer. And three is probably for the good of the country. First of all, the political answer. I have I have people who listen to this show, and I'm truly blessed, who are never Trump conservatives, conservatives who are Trump supporters, Trump supporters, Democrats, everybody moderates independence you guys are all awesome you you know you interact with me you understand my views on it then you're not listening coming to listen to my show for a political broadcast you're talking about principles and sometimes and a good lot of times on many different reasons you guys disagree with me but let me talk to you about politics regardless of who what you listen to this show for i've reached out to a few of you and you've i've asked you you know what is your opinion on on this impeachment to a T, most people know it's a witch hunt because the Democrats show their hand from day one. Hey, we want to impeach this guy. They understand that this is nothing but a circus. To use the old quote, oh, but life is but a stage. That's what this is. So everyone knows it. Everyone knows this is a circus. This is just, you know, another act. It's a witch hunt. Or as Mark Levin, I heard, has been calling it a silent coup. Okay, now your idea of political justice is acknowledging this, getting it to the Senate, which is controlled by the Republicans, and just throwing it out. You're giving the Democrats ammunition right back at you from a political point of view, going, yeah, well, we might, you know, we may have been, you know, just out to get them, but they didn't even listen to it. They didn't even give it the time of day. They didn't even, you know, have enough respect for the system to actually do it. And the media would just destroy the Republican Party, Donald Trump, and everyone that does this, if you do not have a trial. So that's the political answer. From a political point of view, yes, you have it. From a legal point of view, if you saw anything in the House, and I read some of the transcripts, it was a very, very biased trial. The Republicans couldn't get anything they wanted. They couldn't call their witnesses. They couldn't ask certain questions. They couldn't get the identity of the whistleblower. Nothing. You go to the Senate, it's a different story. One of the best parts, or the worst parts, depending on your view and your the your the, your role in a, a legal proceedings, is a term called discovery. Absolutely, you have a trial, and you go through discovery, and you have the president call witnesses. You have the president ask some questions, not him, but his his lawyers and his defense team. You have a whole trial. 
and you go through it. But also for the good of the country that you actually go through everything, that you break down the narrative, that you understand that this is not just about Russia, this is about Ukraine, this is about the State Department. That you actually call witnesses, you call Hunter Biden, you call Charamella, you call Chalupa, and you have a field day. My advice, again, horrible situation if the president is listening to someone like me, but my advice, if I was standing right beside President Trump right now, this is the advice I'd give him. Mr. President, I want you to get on that phone, and I want you to demand Mitch McConnell come to the Oval Office. And literally, not figuratively, I want you to grab him by the troth and say, you are having this trial. And not only are you having this trial, but I want your team working on this. Because I believe it is in the national interest that America understands this. But I want you to understand a couple of things. One, we need as many eyeballs on this as possible. You need to work it on social media. You got to work it out on C-SPAN. You got to get it out on Twitter, on Facebook, on every platform you can to get this evidence. But I also want you to make it crystal clear to the American people. This is not going to be a rigged trial. I want you to give the Democrats what they want. If they want to call certain witnesses, if they want to ask certain questions, don't do to them what we they, they did to us in the House. Now, obviously, within reason, it's not a dog and pony show, but you don't cut them off. Let them make their case, but also understand that you get to ask questions too and absolutely go to town on it and let the truth and the chips fall where they may. That is what I would say. Which leads to a different question, but it's all linked to this. And I got this question. John, listen to your show about, you know, financial issues and Deutsche Bank and, you know, the stock market. From a cultural point of view, what's your biggest fear from America? And it's all linked into this. I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist now, but... And I apologize, but I'm just gonna, I've always just been honest with you. And I'm gonna lay out what the why I think and what leads me to fear this. I think the Democrats know they're gonna lose in 2020. And I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's not my job. But I think they think, they look at that field, they look at Trump, and they think, I don't see anyone who can beat him. In that field. Now maybe someone gets in. Maybe maybe Michael Bloomberg is the savior. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe just maybe Hillary Clinton is, you know, hey guys, I'm still here. I don't know. Maybe. But I think they're looking and gonna go, we're gonna lose. And if we do lose, we need to have an excuse. And I think my biggest fear for America is that you're gonna go at each other more and more. That this impeachment is going to divide you even further. That you're going to go further and further into your camps. And that if you look at how some of the people on the left speak about America. Oh, the founders were just slaveholders. Oh, America is inherently racist. You see all this narrative. That if they're actually, Donald Trump is impeached through the House, but not in the Senate. And then goes on and wins in 2020. That there will be members of the media and members of the Democratic Party who will literally push and push and push this narrative that the American people, doesn't matter what is what facts are given to them, quote-unquote, they're just going to side with the, the white old guy. 
And they're going to push and push and push. And eventually, somebody's going to shove back. And my fear is it's not going to end well. I know this makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I said to you guys last week, you can ask me anything. That's my, This is asking me anything, and this is me being honest with you. From a cultural point of view, I'm very, very, very worried about where your country's going. Does that mean I have no hope? No. I have lots of hope, which I'm going to talk to you about later on in the show. But my biggest fear is that because of the media, because the media are, the media have always been bad, but they have taken a, they've taken a few steps, quite a few, few steps, get to a whole lot worse since Trump has been elected. They literally do not care about journalism anymore. They used to talk about journalism if you looked in the right places or looked at the bottom of articles. Now I don't see anyone who cares. I don't see anyone who cares. And it's literally, they're going to push this narrative that America sucks. I don't know what is the end game for them. I don't know what their end goal is or how they see this ending. Do they see the American people going, yeah, you know what? You're right. We do suck. So my fear is that there's going to be reprisals. Does that mean violence? I don't know. I hope not, but it could mean just something else, that the pendulum shifts way, way, way to the other side. That is my fear, and if it's not based around principles, you haven't achieved anything, you haven't won anything in my eyes. social media quite a lot i'm on twitter freedom disciple facebook jonathan don 58 give me a follow give me a friend request engage with me guys i love it when i hear from you and i love people asking many different questions about especially this week you guys have a lot of questions some of them are funny some of them are short answered i'm gonna throw in a few short answers kirsten asks can we talk about the possibility we are being ruled by psychopath reptilian overlords well you know, you may think, no, that would never happen. But you are ruled by a frog in the Senate, right? Not insulting, I'm just I'm just saying what other people have said. Um I I do believe there's a lot of you've been ruled by bad people. And I think if you've been watching um Glenn Beck and he's done a lot of different specials lately, especially the Hydra special and where he digs into the the State Department. I think, you know, one of the problems in America, and it's a problem around the world as well in different levels of government, is unelected bureaucrats. They're unelected. They're, there's no responsible, they're not responsible to anyone. There's no accountability. You know, they, they literally can sit here, you know, even if you got the most conservative president of all time in there, if you got George Washington into the White House for eight years guaranteed, you know, they can just sit back and gonna go, yeah. I'll just wait you out, baby. Sure, we'll we'll just slow walk things for eight years and we'll frustrate you. You know, this happened very much if you if you read history and Ronald Reagan. You know, if you read Ronald Reagan, he started speaking out against the Fed and then all of a sudden stopped because they started pulling the levers of government that they had at their disposal and said, oh, you, you have a problem with us? Oh, okay, gee, we can just slow your economy growth down a bit. Um, so, you know, there's certain places you don't go. The Federal Reserve is... You you got to be very careful if you attack them. 
Um, it's just the, the levers of government. And it's what the problem in America is. The government is so big. So overloads, overloads, you definitely have a lot of unelected bureaucrats. You definitely have a lot of people who think they know better than you. The prime example this week was, um, I don't want to spend too much time in it because I, I just found it funny, but uh, Greta, 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 Greta. Yeah, she won Time Person of the Year, which is on, uh, honestly incredibly ironic. But at least, you know, we got to give people consistency props because, you know, you voted for someone who is 16, 17 years of age, who is skipping school, who we don't know where her parents are. We don't know who's funding these mega trips because she's not just flying, hey, I'm on a, you know, a flight that's commercial for like 500 bucks. She's going like all these long ways to get to different places because heaven forbid, you know, she has a, a, puts anything bad into the atmosphere, even though people around her do. But she's going to all these conferences and she's telling people, you know what? You're too stupid to know how to live. You just, you know what we need? We need people to deal with climate change. We need the politicians to act. We need the smart people to tell you how to live and compel you. And if you don't do what we say because we're so smart, then guess what? We'll put you in jail or we'll fine you. What I find so ironic about it is if I was picking the person of the year, I'd have the Hong Kong protesters. Oh my God, you spoke out against China. Yeah, you're damn right I did. I've been doing it since before. It was cool. What's going on in Hong Kong is nothing short of shocking. And while I don't condone everything and support everything that's happening in Hong Kong, there's some bad protesters there who've done some horrific things. The idea of protesting kind of going, we don't want to be part of Chinese rule again. Because if Hong Kong falls, guess what? Taiwan is next. And this world does not need a stronger, more potent, more imposing China. This is about freedom, not government. So absolutely, there's a large part that you have been run by overlords. Marianne asks, why aren't crooks in government made accountable and faster? Again, this is a question that's hard to answer because there's no political will to do it because both sides play the game. Let me give you a quick example. If you look at what a congressperson earns, regardless of whether you're Democrat or Republican, what they earn a year, and look at some of these people who are in the business 10, 20, 30 years, and look at what how much money they had going in, and now look at how much money they have. A lot of these people are public servants, quote-unquote, are multi, multi, multi-millionaires. Both sides do this. This is not a Democrat problem or a Republican problem. This is a D.C. problem. Why aren't they held accountable? Because there's no interest on either side to do it. It's all but a game. But also, and this is where I've disagreed with conservatives an awful lot, and especially a conservative icon like Mike Lee. If you remember back to 2016, where he was like, you know what, we just don't put our political opponents in jail when they were talking about, oh, some lady in an email server and, you know, some, you know, some conspiracy theory like that. I, I know that's rather oddly specific. But, you know, there was talk about, you know, she should be locked up. She should be brought to justice. And Mike Lee was going, no, we don't put our political opponents in jail because that shows you're like a banana republic. I disagree with it. I believe Lady Justice should be blind. And if you break the law, whether you're a president, whether you're a congressperson, whether you're a secretary of state, whether you're a white person or a black person or a rich person or a poor person or a gay person or a straight, straight person, or I don't know, maybe you're... 
I don't know, maybe you're a transitioning gay, bisexual, um, haven't had the surgery yet, non-binary. I'm trying to use every adjective under the sun. I'm not good at this type of language because I just don't know the adjectives. But all those adjectives, that type of person, if you break the law, the answer is the same. Justice is blind. So why aren't crooks and government made accountable? Because there's no political will. Everyone does it. Everyone does it and everyone just accepts it. There is another question. Brian asks, how do we cure the disease of useless government? People get elected with good intentions, but it seems the corrupt political systems are beyond repair and those good intentions get squashed. I'm going to answer this in two different ways. How do you cure the disease of useless government? First off, we have to explain, and the people have a role in this, of explaining what the government actually is. And explain what level of government a constitutional government is. Because a lot of people just go, oh, you know, let me give you an example. There was a, a couple, it was a while back. Remember when they, the Republicans finally won the Senate and Mitch McConnell came out and go, the Republicans, you know, the American people just need to know we can govern. This is back under Obama. And you have all these phrases where, oh, it's a do-nothing Congress. Good. Do-nothing Congresses are wonderful. If they're doing nothing, there's a chance they're not screwing you. So we need to explain what a constitutional government actually looks like, where you have checks and balances, where Article 1 has 18 clauses of what it can do, and that's it. Where Article 2 has no power. Where Article 3 is to decide, hey, is something constitutional or not? Not what the case law says, not what the precedent says, but what the Constitution says. And everything else is left up to the state government. So how do you solve, how do you cure the disease of useless government? We explain what actual constitutional government looks like, regardless of what side we attack, quote-unquote. But then also to explain to people that... This is constitutional government and support people who want constitutional government. Because, and I can tell you this as, as someone who's on the receiving end of it, you guys are awesome, but I have a lot of contacts in this industry. If you work hard at this industry, which I do, and I try and, you know, come to before you each and every week, you know, with well thought out arguments, with well-reasoned arguments, I'm not insulting to other people. Yeah, I know I call Mitch McConnell frog face. I'm sorry, but I'm not the first person. But I'm not throwing people under the bus. It's, you know, there's a lot of people who do that type of work that don't get support. You know, because it just, you don't hear from people. But if you make a mistake, you hear from people. But also, if you do a type of show, if you look at the types of show that get a lot of ratings, it's always these people who are throwing flames. Oh, you you suck, and you suck, and you suck, and you suck. So, what you have to do, and I believe, is you got to support people who are, you know, so they don't get squashed. Because going into D.C., and this is not a Donald Trump reference, is a swamp. I was there a couple of times, and I hated it. I could feel dirty. It was like, oh my god, I want to get out of here as quickly as possible. And I'm a nobody. Imagine having to work there 24-7 or, you know, a good chunk of the year. But I also think it's time to look at ideas. And I know I have a, a bias towards Texas. But you know what? How do you solve useless government? I think the Texas plan is pretty good where, like, they only meet every two years and for a period of time. And then they go home and they go back to their own jobs or they go back to their own life or whatever it is they do. And that's it. You have a window to do stuff. And if you don't make that window, 
tough you can take it up next session. This idea of government just constantly sitting is something you might want to look at. Also, if you break up K Street, you know, we have technology now. Is there a reason everyone has to be in D.C. all the time? You know, how about a system where we use technology where you have these, you know, Cisco systems do a great system where it's like you meet online, you discuss things, you know, that, but you're back in your constituency. Maybe that would break up lobbying. This is not a simple question to answer. There's so many different levels. But if you have someone that you think is good intentioned, support them. Just email them kind of going, I just wanted to say, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not writing about any policy or any principle, but just want to say I think you're a decent guy or girl. Thank you for, for serving. Which then leads me on to perfectly onto the next question, which I would link into that answer. What are my thoughts on Article 5, Convention of States, and what are my thoughts on term limits, including SCOTUS? So, I'm a big believer in Article 5. I disagree with a lot of people who are in the Article 5 movement in the sense that they think it's the all the be-all and end-all solution. The Article 5, all of a sudden, you know, you know, will solve every problem. I disagree. I think Article 5 is part of the solution, but it is merely one arm of the solution. And the reason I say that is because, you know, if you amend the Constitution, let's just say one thing, which, you know, I'm a big fan of term limits as well. I think, you know what, you know, everyone should have a term limit, including SCOTUS. This idea of being limited, you know, you can serve for your lifetime, that you can serve, you know, you look at someone like Justice Ginsburg, who, regardless of her political philosophy, you know, is having health issues. You know, you look at some of these people, they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and they've been expected to sit down and remember legal precedent. It's it's not an easy job. You know, so I think you should have a period of time. Now, I'm open to discuss, you know. I know back when there was term limits and discussed under Article 5, it was 12 years. Okay, we can discuss it. I'm open to 8 years, I'm open to 20 years. But this idea of term limits, big supporter. But here's why I want to talk to you about Article 5 not being the full solution by itself. The Constitution, let me give you an example. Constitution is rather clear what power is in the executive office. It's crystal clear. It's it's not up for debate. There is no power in Article 2. Yet whether you're Donald Trump, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George Bush, even Ronald Reagan, the executive power still constantly was breached. It constantly grew. So, if you have a, a Article 5 convention of the states and you write these new amendments, why do you think they're going to pay attention to those? Violating the Constitution is done by all sides. Let me give you some examples. Last Congress violated the Second Amendment with a bump stock ban. I know a lot of people don't like me saying that, but it's true. Everyone has violated the Fourth Amendment. No one even discusses the Fourth Amendment where you have wireless or warrantless wiretaps. You have a system where you have a server complex in Utah where no one knows what's exactly on those servers. You just know you have every information of every call made by every American. But it's totally safe. Don't worry about it. But yet you have a Fourth Amendment right to be secure in your persons and your papers. That's violating that. But it's written in the Constitution. So I believe in Article 5. I believe in federalism. Because one of the other questions, and I'll link this and I'll answer this now. What do I believe is the most important amendment in America? A lot of people, the easy answer is the First Amendment. The easy answer is the Second Amendment. I'll go one step further and give you a different answer. The Tenth Amendment. Federalism. 
this idea where the central government, i.e. DC, has certain powers. Everything else is left up to the states. That's why Article 5, I believe, is a big part of your solution. Making things back to the state level and limiting the power of DC, including term limits, including limits on spending. But it's not going to be the solution because you can write all the amendments to the Constitution. You could literally write an amendment to the Constitution says you must have a balanced budget, which was another part of Article 5 been discussed. You think anyone in D.C. is going to pay attention to that? You can't even get in D.C. a budgetary process and reconciliation. You just have these continuing resolutions. Oh, another continuing resolution, another continuing resolution. I I think it's 12 years since you've had a budget. I think it was 2008 was the last one. I could be wrong on that, but it's at least 10 years since America's had a budget and reconciliation. Yet Democrats and Republicans have controlled all the bodies. Doesn't change. So how do you get them? The answer, and we're going to talk about this later on in the show, is, you know, because a few people have different questions. To answer your question, Brian, it starts with the people. We have to educate people. We need to do it in a certain way. And we need to start sharing principles. But I'll come back to that in a minute. Last question this segment comes from a person who says, John, I love your show. I love your love of principles in my nation. But we got to talk. It's time for you to start supporting political candidates. There is a chance someone like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, or Joe Biden could be the next president. They will destroy America. It's time you played your part. How do I address this? Okay, I'm going to address this in two different ways. First, I'm going to have a bit of fun with you. No, it's not time. With the greatest respect, it's not time. I don't know about you and what you have for your future plans, but I have no intention of supporting any candidates because I don't want to be brought in front of Congress to talk about Irish collusion. Oh, the Irishman helped so-and-so won an election. Don't want it. No interest. Now, I do. I would love to testify in front of Congress on many issues. Immigration, free market economics, the Constitution, the history of your nation, why America doesn't suck, how you change the world. I'd love to testify in front of Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, or ever who would have me. Anytime. I would do it at my own expense. And I would have a field day. Irish collusion? No interest, pal. <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest possible way. But let me address your point. Because this is where I disagree. And this is where I'm going to annoy a lot of people. Do I think Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders would be good for America? (laughs) No. But they will destroy America? I am so personally sick and tired of this narrative. Because it sells. It's fear. This idea that this election is the most important. And guess what? I can bet my house, even though I don't have a house, that people would say this in 2020, and they would say the exact same in 2022, 24, 26, 28. It is a constant narrative been driven by media who are desperate for clicks on left and right. Who are like, oh my God, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Is the election important? Yes. But it will destroy America? No. And let me talk to you about your recent history. There were people on the right, and I'm going to speak to you both sides of the aisle. There were people who literally in 2009, if I said to you, oh my God, you're going to have eight years of Barack Obama as president, they would have said America's dead. 
Well, look at you now. To my friends on the left who want to believe this phony narrative that's also popular to believe. If I said to you, Donald Trump will be president and it's 2019, you would think America would be destroyed. Yet look at you now. This idea that one man or one woman can become president and destroy your nation is nothing more than a lie. Yes, I said a lie. It is a media lie perpetrated to get you to vote a certain way. If nothing else, recent history suggests and proves beyond the shadow of a doubt, the American people are resilient. The idea of America is bigger than one person, whether that one person is Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Donald Duck could be president for all I care. The idea of America and the American people are resilient. You want to know what will destroy America? Forgetting your history. You want to know what will destroy America? Constantly violating the Constitution by both sides. You know what will destroy America? Not explaining to the younger generations, instead of insulting them, instead of looking down on them, instead, let's explain to them why America is an exceptional nation. Because I don't know about you, but I look around at the media landscape and I say left and right, including some of my colleagues, and I look at them and I kind of go, can you explain to me why America is exceptional? Now, yes, there are a few, but a lot of them, no. Can you explain to me why America changed the world? Some may give some type of answer. Some may give a different type of answer, but would be wrong. You want to know what will destroy America? This constant bickering of my side is better than yours. But I'm going to come back to that point as well, because there's a couple of questions I want to address in, in the next segment. But I don't believe any president has the power to destroy your nation. They can make things really bad or make things really good, but destroy us? They may destroy part of your economy. They may hurt your economy. But the idea of America is what it is. It's a set of principles. It's a set of values. It's a way of life. The only way that is destroyed is if every American and every person around the world who has the knowledge of what America truly stands for either gives up, loses hope, or stops sharing those values. And I am not the person to say this, and I don't mean this in an arrogant or hubris kind of way. But if I'm the last person on earth talking about freedom, I don't care how many Americans listen to this show. If America decides freedom isn't cool, I will still be talking about freedom. I will still be talking about limited government until I die. Now that may well happen because of what's going on around the world. But the only way the idea of America is destroyed is if we give up. And when I say we, I don't mean we politicians. I don't mean we the media. I don't mean me the, all oh, the people who have microphones. I mean we as in the people. Because that is where the power lies. There is a reason my show is structured the way it is each and every week. Because I don't care whether you agree with me or disagree with me or love the show or dislike the show. The last thing I want you to hear every week is the principle. America is great because Americans are good. 
Not politicians, not the media, not political parties, but Americans. So while I understand the sentiment, and I understand why people believe it, no president has the power to destroy America. Only the people can do that. If you happen to live a, listen on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review. It helps the algorithm. Um, you guys have given some really great reviews lately, and I really appreciate it, and a lot of five-star reviews as well. So thank you so much if you leave the time, but please consider leaving us a rating and review. It helps us. It helps new listeners find, find this show. I got a couple of questions I want to tie together because they all link into the same answer, which I want to talk to you about. So Wiley asked, do you think the U.S. will ultimately collapse by the executive branch growing since every American president since Wilson? I hate that guy. And even more exponentially since George Bush. Is this a system of an expanding democracy? Example, the direct elections of senators as opposed to state electoral choosing. Um, not necessarily collapse per se in any economic sense, but might lead to state secessions eventually. So let me answer this real quick. I don't think, I don't know how this is going to end from a governmental point of view. I don't think you will collapse because of the executive branch. I don't think you can, I don't think a growing, growing executive branch will kill you per se. I think what it will do is it will shift the focus off politics in the sense of, It'll literally be, like, if you look at all these elections, like, I remember I went on a speaking tour two years ago, I think it was. I went to Oklahoma, and literally, I had a great conversation. There was this lady, she was probably in her 30s, lovely lady, she was a young mother, and she had two, I think it was two kids, but she ran for school board, and she won. And she was telling me how, you know, she was giving me the demographics, and I was learning about her election and different things, and, you know... Don't know how, whether I agree with her or disagree with her and stuff. That's irrelevant. But I was just learning about the stuff. And she was like, the most disheartening thing for me is getting people engaged in the school board. You know, I'm a young mother. Yes, it's important to, you know, support Trump and vote for Trump. And the president, it's important. And, you know, senators and house reps, it's important. But I'm in a constituency. And I think she had something like 200,000 people voted for senator in her area. And she won the vote with something like, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher these figures. I think it was 125 votes. Second place was like 75 votes and third was like 50 and fourth was 49. She's like, there's hundreds of thousand people, not even a thousand people voted. And I don't know how to change that because the school are literally teaching like adopting common core and all these big issues, which should be, you know, Hey, let's not have common core, but you know, they, you would have these people not voting for the school boards and for different offices, but when it comes to the presidency, you have it. And, you know, even the numbers bear it out. If you look at the figures from 2018, the amount of people who voted for the presidency in 2016 and then look at it, 2018 is a down year because there's no presidency. That is not a healthy situation. There's a lot of power that a lot of people are seeding. And a lot of ignorance and, you know, I just don't care and I'm apathetic to, you know, who's on my school board or who's my sheriff. So a growing executive branch is not healthy, but it won't destroy you. When it comes to state secessions, 
I don't know what how that ends. You know, it's when it, I don't know. I I am not a supporter of states seceding from the union because I believe in the United States of America and I believe collectively when you come together. Yes, I said a socialist word. <gasps> oh my god! But you know, the United States. You're not a country. You're a collection of initially 13 colonies to now 50 states, or if you're Barack Obama, 57 states. Don't know where those seven states are. But hey, you know, facts never get in the way of a good story, right? But you are coming together with all your differences because there are major differences in your country and they're, I think they should be celebrated. You know, the idea where I can go to New York and experience one lifestyle. I can go to Texas and experience another lifestyle. I can go to the heartland, experience another lifestyle. And I can go to California and experience another lifestyle. That was the beauty of your system. That is the beauty of your system where you're kind of going, look, yeah, the states have a, or sorry, Congress has a role. 18 clauses in Article 1, Section 8, but then everything else is left up to the people in my state. And Texas should be run a certain way. New York should be run a different way. California should be run a different way. Ohio should be run a different way. So I don't know what the future is, but I can see it getting to a point where a lot of people just go, maybe it's time to secede. Maybe it's time to start a new one. My only advice to that would be, and this is where I'll always come down, if you decide as a state, if you're like, let's just give you an example, because Texas always joke about this. Oh, yeah, we're, we never wanted to be part of America in the first place. We just, we're just counting down the days, brother. We just need to get out of here. Okay, great. Let's say you decide to do it. Where I'll always fall is what exactly are you going to stand for? Are you going to just go, you know what, we're going to go in a different direction? And we're going to come up with our own Bill of Rights and our own Constitution? Are you going to actually go with what the founder said? That's where I'll always fall. Is it about freedom? Is it about nature's law and nature's God? So I don't know where this ends. I hope it ends where you're still a collection of states coming together and federalism can win again and federalism can become cool again. But going forward, I don't know. Um, these two questions I want to link together. Kelly asks, with the Congress and the President passing the extensions of the Patriot Act and FISA, training foreign nationals from countries to harbor terrorists here on military bases in the USA, and the soon amnesty bill known as the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, short-term spending, GOP governors accepting unverified refugee settlements, how do you get a handle on this? I want to link this to a question that Zach asked me. Zach asked me, how can we help our neighbors understand American principles and why we need to go back there without sounding like a crazy, radical, or old-fashioned person? So I want to link these two questions together because the answer is the same. How do you get a handle on your government? You need to talk about principles. How do you get a handle on your government? You need to start dropping the sides. The reason I want to link these two questions together is because the answer is the same. One of the things that frustrates me is people owning rights. This idea of, well, you know, there's a guy over here in England. Um, what's his name? Oh, I've had, my memory's gone blank. Jonathan Pye. If you ever watch him, a lot of Americans love him because he does these famous rants and he pretends to be a journalist and he does this thing where, you know, he's given a news story, he's acting like a journalist all, you know, we're, you know, and now we're going to this part and we're reporting on this and then the camera cuts off and then he tells you what he really thinks. And there's no doubt the guy is a big lefty. But some of the attacks on him are very unfair because even though I disagree with about 90% of what he says, he, he's very right and I always feel sorry for him in the sense that, you know, he defends free speech as a right. And he's like, 
you know, right wingers defend you, you know, I love you because of free speech, that all of a sudden free speech is a right wing principle. It is not a right wing principle. It just so happens that more people on the right are more comfortable with free speech than our friends on the left. But even that is is questionable at times. If you want to talk about how you harness your government, how you get a handle on all the problems, it's you need to get back to explaining to your friends, to your families, to your colleagues about principles without the hook of voting for someone. I've seen so many people, and I mean, when I say people, let me be very crystal clear what I'm talking about. Just average American people where I've been blessed to sit in on conversations who are not in the media, who are not, you know, doing this for a living and who are not the most articulate of people. And I'm not judging. That is not a slam. I'm just saying, you know, how average American people will speak to each other. And they, li- I listen to them and I've been very fortunate to have these conversations and listen to them. And I say, that's right. That's great. That's great. I love the way you said that. I wouldn't have said it that way, but I see what you're saying. And right at the end, there's always that hook. You got to vote GOP. GOP are the only one who stands for these principles. And I'm like, I see so many people just getting lost. Because they're like, I'm not like that. How do you get a reign on your government? You have to talk about principles. You have to talk about the greatness of America, the idea of America, why it is exceptional, and why it can be again. But secondly, we also have a responsibility to talk to people, not through fear, but through hope. Because principles are eternal. You know, I know I bring a lot of bad topics to this show. You know, Deutsche Bank, stock market been overvalued. You know, I, I believe there's economic problems coming your way. I know I bring a lot of fear to this show. I'm always saying, don't be like Ireland. And it can be very easy to to misconstrue what I'm saying as fear and fear mongering. And, oh my God, well, the world's going to end. We're all going to die. Let's just bury our heads. I get that. But we also have a great opportunity. You know, and let me speak to this in American terms to you. If America has been crystal clear with its movies, there are certain things the American people love because there have been so many movies made about them. The movie in Hollywood, they tap into it. And that is a comeback story. America can be a great comeback story. It can be a great revival. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of patience. It's going to take a lot of love. But you should be inspired by your history because your history is exceptional. Your history changed the world. Look at everything you've overcome. I get so upset and frustrated when people say to me, oh, look, we can't overcome this. Look at how divided we are. I'm like, really? Look at your history. Read any chapter of your history. You overcame the superpower of the day, the Hessians, the Redcoats. You, if not any country that can do that can do anything. But that's not the only achievement your country has. Your own country overcame slavery. You overcame segregation. You survived Woodrow Wilson. You despised, you survived Nazism. You survived FDR as president. You went to the moon. You overcame the Russians and won the Cold War without a missile being shot. You became the economic superpower the world has ever seen. You have changed the world through innovation. If there is one country and one set of people who should never think you can't do anything, it is the American people. I link this to Zach's question. How do you get your neighbors to understand? It's not about left and right. 
You know, one of the things that I see so much is, first of all, it's the hate and the insults. Oh, you're a Democrat. You suck. Oh, you're a Republican. You're a racist. And everyone always has their guard up. Let me talk to you from a Christian point of view, because so many people who listen to this claim to be Christian, but also say America is a Christian nation. How do you change it? Follow the principles of Christ. Love one another. Again, what did I say at the end of every show? America is great because Americans are good. Time and time again, you prove this. Why does it always take a disaster for you guys to get together? Why does it take one of the most horrific hurricanes in in Houston for Americans to come together? Why does it take people who are evil bastards flying planes into the World Trade Centers and bringing America to its knees for it be for that to happen for you guys to love each other for you guys to wave the American flag? Why does it take bad things to bring you to your knees for you to realize you know what? Our color of our skin doesn't matter. Our party affiliation doesn't matter. It's just who we are. But so many people today have lost the attribute, and this is for you, Zach. And Christians are some of the worst people around, by the way, at this, of agreeing to disagree. You know what? I I have people on both sides of the aisle or all sides of the aisle listen to this show. I don't know how much I agree with. I don't care how much we agree or disagree. It's not It's not a competition. Well, you agree with me 80% of the time, you're a good person. Oh, you only agree with me 50% of the time, you're an idiot. No. It's the maturity to understand that there are people who, whether it's right or wrong, they have a different opinion on America. They have a different feeling on America. They have a different upbringing of America. And that's okay. We can agree to disagree. And why I say Christians are some of the worst people on this, we're all Christians. Oh, but you're a Catholic. You're not a real Christian. Oh, well, you're a Protestant. Are you really, are you a real Protestant? What Protestants are you? Oh, you're a Baptist? Oh, are you, are you a Baptist or are you a Southern Baptist? Oh, you're a Mormon? Oh, you're Satan spawn. They're all Christians. Agree to disagree. Just go, you know what? You do you, I'll do me. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to be nice to you. How can you survive and help your American friends and family explain principles? Talk principles. Break it down to what I try and do. And I'm not saying follow my example. Oh, I'm great. I'm not saying that. But what I try and do is talk principles. Free speech. Free speech. Does someone, you know, use that as an example. Should we ever compel people and say, you can't say that? How about do we all, are we all created equal? Hey, the form of government. You want to talk about government principles. Hey, the idea of whether it's left or right, whether it's Obama, Trump or Clinton or Bush, whoever who it is, that person does not matter. The principle of, should Article 2 have more power, or should it have less? Should Article 1 in Constitution have more power, or should it have less? Should there be more power in the states? How do you get there? It's going to be a lot of love and a lot of humility. But here's what I would say to you, and this is, again, specific to your question, Zach. And this is something I believe I'm trying to do and change my message. Read the writings and the speeches, if I may suggest to you, of Martin Luther King. Because if you listen and you read anything about Martin Luther King, you can understand why he of all the more famous Americans had every reason to be angry, had every reason to be spiteful, every reason just to be pissed off. But what did he say? 
when he talked about slavery. Slavery is wrong and it's an abomination. Our forefathers knew us. And it's now time to cash the checks our forefathers wrote. It was an inspirational message. You want to know how you talk to your American friends and your family? I believe, regardless of what side you're on, whether you're Democrat or Republican, we need to talk in inspirational terms. Of not what you are, not what you have been, but what you can be. Because I believe whether you're left or right, top or bottom, America can be exceptional again. That is the great aim. Not to be great, not to keep it great, but to be exceptional. To talk about individual rights. Because that's what it all boils down to. And use examples that are apt for them. The next question is from a guy called John, and I'm going to read out the full question because I just want to read all this. Can you as an American in Europe explain their herd behavior to me? For example, they all stand up at once and shout that nuclear power is bad. This year they're trying to ban diesel when they used to be its biggest proponents. It's like they all have their telescopic antenna and daily get together marching orders from their overlord in Brussels. What's up with that, my Irish American brother from another mother? Sorry, I just wanted to read that. I wanted a bit of humor because the last segment was a bit serious. So this actually happens in America as well if you look at sides. And I actually think there's a large logistical reason for this. And I can I want to talk to you about this real briefly. Because I actually believe it's what you call herd mentality is in another word is collective. But we all seek out a collective. Let me give you an example. And it's a, it's a very silly example, but just to, just to make the point, I want you to imagine whatever city or town you're in right now, right? And I want you to imagine you're walking down the street and a person you don't know, you've never seen before. You don't know what they do. You don't know whether they, how they vote. You don't know what, you know, well, obviously you can guess roughly what age they are, but you know, you know nothing about them. They could be a good person. They could be a criminal. And they walk up to you and they go, hey, man, there's a steakhouse just at the edge of this corner. I've just come from it. It is the most juiciest, gorgeous, most succulent steak. The chef cooked mine to perfection. And oh, my God, those fries, they were crispy. They were they were crispy on the outside and soft and melty in the middle. And I had this unbelievable pepper sauce. It was so scintillating. It just got all my taste buds just binging with delight. I was just, oh my God. How are you going to react to that person? First of all, you're going to actually listen to everything they just said. Or are you just going to be nice and go, okay, that's nice. That's that's great. I, I don't know you. Go away. Now I want you to visualize that exact same conversation not happening in your local town or city or even state. Since we're from Ireland, let's use Ireland. Imagine you're in Ireland and you don't know me. And you walk down Ireland and it's full of Irish people and full of tourists. And you get talking and this guy walks up to you and goes, Oh my God, I heard you talk to your wife or your partner. Are you American? Yeah, I'm from California. Oh, I'm from Iowa. 
I just, you know, I don't know if you're interested, but I was just in this bar for lunch and I had the most gorgeous succulent steak. The chef cooked it perfectly. The chips are amazing. They're crispy on the outside, fluffy and soft pillows in the middle. And oh my God, the pepper sauce. It had my mouth tingling. Do you go to that restaurant? Or which are you more open to go to the restaurant? If it's in your hometown or home state or if it's in a foreign country. Whether we like it or not, human behavior is based on a collective. We all like the security of a collective. Even if we're the most individualistic person that we can think of. We all like this, I don't know, collective of our family. You know, it's safe. It's secure. You know, you're allowed to verbalize your thoughts without being judged. Or you should be. Maybe you don't have that type of family. But we all like that security. We all like and seek out that security of our friends. You know, a lot of times you'll have, you know, if you look at people's circle of friends, they, they generally have some common themes in it. You know, it's not like, well, I believe in this and I believe in the exact opposite and we're all friends. Sometimes you can have very strong disagreements, but you see the world a certain way with your friendships. Why? Because in, to use your language, we're all, we're all a type of herd. But what you have right now, and in Europe, it's always been this way, and especially in our places like Ireland, where literally you have people part of a family, where it's literally, I'm part of this, or I'm part of this political party because my father was part of this political party, and I'm this way because my grandfather was part of this political party, and they were in that because their great-grandfather was part of that political party. And it's over, it's just that party, and whatever that party says, we all look at it, hey, that's what the party line is right now. We just got to get on board because we don't want to stand up to our people, our collective. Because let me prove this point to you. And this is all emotional and it's how your brain works. Why is social media filled with hate? Because it's easy. It's easy because, can you imagine yourself, like take some of the most nasty mean tweets you've seen online and ask yourself, would they say the same thing if the to the person verbalizes if they were right in front of them? And a lot of people would say no because, oh, well, they're only keyboard warriors. They're chickens. They're in their mama's basement. You know, the usual stuff that they would say. But it's easier to, you know, write something nasty about something. Oh, you're a moron. You're an idiot to say, than to say it to someone's, someone's face. Why? Because it's always harder to say something to someone you love. Think of criticism. Everyone loves to criticize politicians. Would you criticize your mother as easy? Your father? Your sibling? Your kids? Your wife? There's some people are probably listening going, Hell yeah, I would. I, I'm great at telling people I love they suck. Maybe that's your talent. But we all have this safe, collective herd mentality that we want to keep it. Now, we may change our herds. Um, you may, you know, change sides. But what you have right now is because of social media, it's very collective and it's not based around anything substantial. In Europe, it isn't anything substantial. It's based on parties. But a lot of times in America, it's the same. But it's more polarized in America because you only have two sides. You have Republicans and Democrats, left and right. Ireland, we have Fianna Fáil, we have Fianna Gael, we have Labour, we have Sinn Féin, we have the people before profit. We have lots of different people. We have the independents. England has Labour, it's Conservatives, it's got the Brexit Party, it's got UKIP, it's got the BNP, obviously these are more small, you got the Liberal Democrats, so it's it's very different. But everything is about the party. 
One of the reasons why I love America is because you're the exact opposite to every other nation. You're not about parties. You're not about personalities. You're about principles. And this understanding of an idea called nature's law and nature's God. This idea that says we all have rights. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where you come from. It's that set of principles. So that is what I would say. It's not, it's a herd mentality, but it's also a safe thing. We all feel safe in that environment and we're very protective of it. And one of the things going back to the question prior to that, Zach, what we need to do is be empathetic to others. We need to use language that we understand what I just said, but not make people put their guard up and go, oh, you're going to attack me for being a lefty or for being a righty or for being a Republican or Democrat. I'm putting up my shield to you and I'm not listening to you. We need to break down the shields. We need to listen to others and be empathetic and understand that all they're saying when they're part of the collective is they just want their safe space. Which leads me on to some constitutional questions. Lorraine asks, what is your opinion about the original intent of the Second Amendment? Do you believe, like some, that a well-regulated militia meant only those serving in the military were meant to be armed? Or you do believe, as others, that it is the people's right and duty to be armed at all times? That quote was phrased in the, in, at a letter, at the end of a letter dated 1824 from Thomas Jefferson to John Cartwright. Um, so let's go with this. So I'm going to break this down part by part. What is my opinion on the original intent of the Second Amendment? I believe it is, while I didn't use this word, I believe it is a fundamental nature's law right to self-defense. I don't believe the Second Amendment is about guns. I know a lot of people don't like this, but I don't believe it's about guns. I believe it is about a nature's law of right to self-defense. Likewise, I always use this as a crazy example just to prove my point. To show you it's not about guns, I believe the Second Amendment, if we, let's say, live in a far, far away galaxy in a far, far away time, and Star Wars comes true and we all use blasters, or maybe in another far, far away world and we're in Star Trek and we have phasers, I believe you have God-given right to a blaster or a phaser because you have a God-given right to defend yourself and that just happens to be the weapon of the day. It's why you have all these people going, well, you know, when this was written, it was about muskets. Doesn't matter. It's about how you decide to defend yourself. If you decide you want a musket, go for it. If you want a musket with a bayonet, go for it. If you want a handgun, go for it. If you want a a rifle, go for it. If you want a hunting rifle, go for it. If you want an AR, oh my God, an AR, an assault rifle. Why would anyone want an assault rifle 15? It's not what it stands for, dummy. If you want to do it, go for it. And I think this is critically important. One of the reasons I support any gun that you want is because I understand as someone who doesn't have the a lot of experience, but I've shot a lot of guns for an Irish person. Compared to an American, very little, but compared to an Irish person, a lot. There are certain guns I like. I love SIGs. A handgun, a SIG handgun. I just love it. I love the way it feels. I love the way it holds. I love the way I shoot it. Just better. You put a, you know, revolver in my hands, not so good. I, I prefer a SIG. You put a Smith & Weston in my hands, not as good. It's not a SIG. It's a comfort level. So I believe, I don't believe in a, it's only for those serving. But I also will say, to flip it on, because you also quote that letter from Jefferson to Cartwright, it is their right and their duty to be armed at all times. I disagree with that as well. And I'll tell you why I disagree with it. I disagree with it because I believe you have a right to be free. I believe you have a right to be free 
to do the path in life you want. If I may quote this old rusty document called the Declaration of Independence, I believe you have a God-given right to pursue your happiness. If for whatever reason, and I don't understand it, but if you have a life in America and you're setting up and just going, you know what? I don't want to have a gun in my house. I don't like the way they feel. I don't like the way they hold. I think I feel unsafe around them. I don't want one in my house. I think it is your right and God-given right not to have a gun. And not only would I say it's a God-given right, they are the exact people I don't want having a gun. I don't want people, I see Americans, I know a few of them, and I'm not dissing them, but I see some Americans who have guns and they like, they never clean them, they never go to the range with them. It's just up in a lockbox in some cupboard or up on their, you know, up on their, in their cupboard somewhere where they keep all their clothes, hidden away, totally secure, but they'll never use it. And I'm like, you know, you kind of have to clean it. You know, you kind of have to practice it. You know, God forbid you do have to use it. It's kind of important. You know how to use it responsibly. So I always believe it's not, you don't have a right to do certain, anything you want in the sense of you have to do something. I'm never going to be that guy. It's like this, uh, this big discussion this week, Matt Walsh started about porn. Porn should be illegal. I'm not a big per. I'm a, should the government? No. Should the government force you to live a certain way? No. Should the government say you can't watch porn? No. Should the government say you have to hone a gun? It's a Second Amendment right? No. Because you have a God-given right to be free and live the life you want to and pursue your happiness. Another constitutional question. Lorraine Johnson asks, another one. Um, my thoughts on the 16th Amendment, which allowed the collection of income tax without any apportion to the states. What do I think about it? I think it's an abomination. I think it goes against the spirit of the Declaration of Independence original writing, where before they spoke the before they spoke about the pursuit of happiness, they spoke about your right to property. The idea of America is built, and why you changed the world, you were built on two fundamental principles that changed the world with the economic success you have seen and the innovation we've seen. The idea that you are allowed to pursue your own happiness. And you have the right to keep the fruits of your own labor. There is no king or queen or monarch coming and going, ha ha, great, you've created something, it's now mine. You have this idea of, you can do what you want. You don't have to, you know, you can do any job you want. You don't have to get approved all well. You don't come from the right class. It doesn't matter. You can be a rags to riches story. But you have a right to keep your own money if you're successful. You have a right to pursue your happiness. So I believe the 16th Amendment is unconstitutional, and I believe it was one part that changed your country for the worst one day in history. The 17th Amendment is obviously another really bad day and a bad amendment. So absolutely against it. I believe you should go back to no income tax. I believe you should have taxes for different things for, you know, to fund, you know, police and government and different aspects. Cool. You fund it a different way through sales tax or through motor tax or through tolls, ever how you have, we can have that discussion. But taxing income, I'm fundamentally against it, regardless of what it is. Next question is a great question. It's a really hard one to answer, but I'm going to do it as quickly as I can because I know I'm going over time with you guys, but I wanted to answer every question in depth. Mike said, do you think it's possible for a society to decide or come to recognize, come to the consensus, it has other national rights that aren't in the Constitution? So, a lot of people on the right would say no, possibly say no to this, because they go, the Constitution is sacrosanct. I'm up for discussion. Like, if someone comes to me and says, natural right, I'm, okay, what's a natural right? 
I'm all for it. Let's have that discussion. But he went on to be more, you know, clarify his question more. He said, um, we hear all the time about how this and that and others are right because certain segments want it to be true. However, when the Constitution was written by the framers, they simply decided by divine inspiration of personal genius, I believe, that the rights enumerated were worthy of being so. Um, they left the matter open. I don't believe, for example, that abortion is a natural right. However, if enough folks decided it was, could it be that be enumerated as equal to the founders' vision, legally speaking? Um, let's discuss this really quickly. So, I'm up for all discussions on rights, but abortion could not be a natural right. Because when you understand the laws of nature, the laws of nature are based on a fundamental premise that the rights are the same for everyone. This premise of, if you read enough of the founder's writing and you understand it, where it's literally all men are created equal and endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights. Well, here, here's why abortion cannot be a natural right, because you're not all equal. You're effectively saying the life of the mother, because she chooses to do so, is more worthy and more important and more desirable or whatever word you want to fit in there than the rights of that baby. But also you're fundamentally saying that not everyone has a right to life. So that cannot be a natural right. The understanding of nature's law is that it is the same and it is consistent for everyone. This idea, let me give you some examples because it's in your Bill of Rights. And let's go through the Bill of Rights. The principle of free speech is a nature nature's right because of what? It's a natural right because fundamentally everything comes back to two questions. One, are we all created equal? I believe we are. Then how can you say someone cannot say something? If I fundamentally think we're created equal, how can I say you can't speak? Or you can't say that? But it is a nature's right because you're not talking about, hey, white people have a right to free speech or black people have a right to free speech or business owners have a right to free speech. You're saying it is a fundamental right for everybody. Likewise, on the Second Amendment, the right to protect yourself, the right to bear arms. I believe that is a nature's right because it is for everyone. It's not for a selected class or a selected group. It is a fundamental principle right for everybody. Same with the Fourth Amendment. No one ignore everyone ignores the Fourth Amendment, but you have a right to be secure in your persons and your papers. It's for everyone. You're not predicting protecting people. You're not saying, oh, only some people have it. Because if people always want to dismiss the founders as grace, or sorry, not dismiss them as great, dismiss them as slaveholders and all these bad people. There is a document they could have quoted in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the Bill of Rights if they wanted just to carry on what the standard of the day was. And that document is a document you've heard of before. It's the Magna Carta. The Magna Carta spoke about all free men are created equal. And free people have certain rights. But if you're a slave and you're not a free person, guess what, buddy? Sorry. Hence why the Magna Carta is not based on nature's law and nature's God, and your founders were. Now, I'm not dissing the Magna Carta. It's an incredible document and advanced for its time. But you got to bear in mind, a lot of hundreds of years passed between the Magna Carta and the Declaration of Independence, and the Declaration of Independence to today. We should have evolved as society. So, by my opinion, we can talk about nature's rights. If someone comes out with another nature's right, especially with social media, you know, there might be different rights that we can talk about. I'm all for that discussion. But when it comes to nature's law, 
It has to be the same for everyone. You cannot have a class system or you cannot have a system where it's one rule for one person and one rule for another. This is why liberty and justice, we spoke about it earlier on in the Constitution and about impeachment. Liberty is and justice are blind. It doesn't see race. It doesn't see sexuality. It doesn't see class. It doesn't see where you went to school. It doesn't see your bank account. It's the same or it should be the same throughout. If you're still with me, I, I want to thank you because I, I apologize. This show is a lot longer than normal, but you had a lot of questions and I want to answer them. We're coming towards the end of it, but there's a few foreign policy questions I want to answer. And then there's a there's one more segment after this. I got a question in. Um, did Obama uh, did Obama break the anti-war left? This is all about how the left all of a sudden, you know, when Trump is pulling out troops, all the le- the left are losing their mind. Did Obama break it? No. I think, and I'm going to talk to you about this in the new year. I'm going to share a theory with you probably the 1st of January. Or not, the the first show in January. About games. And about how what you're seeing right now is a battle of finite versus infinite games. But that will be for the, that's something I want to talk to you about in the new year. But basically, the left, and especially the Democrats right now, are literally... They will say or do anything if it opposes Trump. Literally, Trump could, I don't know, Trump could, I'm trying to think of the most radical policy. Trump could come out and go, you know what, actually, he should actually try this just to, just to, you know, I don't know, wind everyone up. Trump should come out as a socialist and just to see all the left say how they're not socialists. Oh, oh my God, Trump's a socialist. We, we should impeach him. He's bad. He's the devil. I think no matter what Trump says, the, the the left and the Democrats' position is we're the opposite. We're we're not the same as him, and especially when it comes to words. So did Obama break the anti-war left? No. The problem in foreign policy is, and this is on left and right, is there's no debate about things. There's no discussion about things. There's no, hey, can we look at things and see how bad things are? And how, what is working? Like, there's this really troubling report from, um, under the Obama administration about the war in Afghanistan, how they were literally lying about figures and spinning figures to make the surge look that it was better. And, you know, the reason that more troops were dying is because they were engaging more and they were been more successful and they were doing everything. And we have to have a conversation. Sorry, we haven't. I'm not American, but you guys need to start having a conversation about what should your foreign policy be? Because the next question I got was, why does the U.S. still back Saudi Arabia? I have no idea. If you find the answer to that question, can you please send me the answer? Because I'd love to know. Because I haven't got a freaking clue why you guys support Saudi Arabia. You know, the, I'm a big sports fan and I don't get as much time. And especially right now, um, I haven't got a clue what's going on in the world sports-wise. But the WWE, I like wrestling. I've been to seven WrestleManias, six WrestleManias. Um, the WWE does these big shows over in Saudi Arabia, and I'm like, what are you doing? Um, and this is not because of some them killing some journalists. This goes way beyond them killing some journalists. They are not good people. They are not good actors. The House of Saud has fundamental problems. 
and yet they're doing all these things to appease Westerners to make them seem more, oh, we're more modern, we're more Western. No, no, no. Um, so why do you back them? No idea. Your foreign policy has sucked for a very, 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 very long time. Um, and it's time to have a discussion about it and not based around, like, like Zach's question earlier on, not based around what the left's opinion is on, so, on, on foreign policy or the right, but listen, to, let's have an American conversation based on what foreign policy should be. How should you act? Should you paint red lines and what should you do if they cross them? I, if you want me to talk to you about when your foreign policy was best, it's obviously hard to pinpoint it because I believe in, I believe in America shouldn't be the world police and you shouldn't be in every country. But when you were at your best, I believe it was under Reagan, where you weren't talking about bombing people. You were just been that guiding light for freedom. You were telling Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You know, you were talking about freedom. You were talking about principles. You were trying to be that beacon of light. So that's when I believe, you know, in recent history, when you're, you're, you're were so clear and so succinct on what was good and what was evil. And like, you know, the idea of understanding not attacking the people. You know, Reagan was really good at it, you know, the the idea of how he used to tell stories. And I'm not saying Trump should turn into Reagan. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we need to do it. We need to share stories. You know, I always remember Joe Query talks about the sense of humor of the Russian people. He always was very clear. It's it's not the Russian people. It's the evil empire, their government, not the people. Today, we just kind of lambast everyone in the same, oh, Russia is the problem. It's not. It's the Russian government. It's pewdieputes. I'm not one of these people, oh, well, Putin is a good guy. No, Putin is a thug. Putin is horrible. And this should not change. You know, if you want to look at, you know, this is a prime example about foreign policy. You know, how the left have any credibility on any aspect of foreign policy. You know, your, your president, who was president at the time, running for re-election in the debate against Mitt Romney, said, hey, you know, Mitt, the 1980s called, they want their foreign policy back. And now all of a sudden, for the last three years, I've been talking about Russian collusion. It's not about left or right. It's about principles. It's about, not about sides. It's about actual facts and figures. How can we deal with a better tomorrow? Um, but if you listen to Reagan, and Reagan was really inspirational for talking about the stories. You know, I always loved the jokes where he used to talk about the Russian people and, you know, trying to point out the similarities. And I always, one of my favorite jokes was, you know, the, uh, the American and the, uh, Russian are talking to each other. And he's like talking about, you know, the comparing the difference between Russia and America. And, you know, the American says, well, you know, I, you know, in America where things are different, our political system is different. You know, I, I don't have to like Ronald Reagan. And if he annoys me, I can walk up into the White House, walk into the Oval Office. I can pound on his desk and say, Mr. President, I don't like how you run your country. And the Russian says, I can do that. He goes, really? Yeah. If I want to, I can walk up to the Kremlin and go right into Mr. Gorbachev. I can pound on his desk and say, Mr. President, I don't like Ronald Reagan's running his country. You know, just sense of humor. You know, it's, it's stories are a big thing and this shouldn't come as a shock to people who work with the blaze. You know, Glenn's a storyteller. I, I try my best, but that's how we change the narrative. You know, different stories, different jokes, but without malice. Um, next question. And what will it take to get us out of these nonstop wars that we currently can't afford? <sighs> Jeez. I love the, I love you guys asking all these questions, but I wish I had the answers for you. This, I have no idea. Um, again, you're going to have to have discussions amongst yourselves and start having a policy about foreign policy. 
Um, because you guys, and I wouldn't even take the, you can't afford them. Yes, you can afford them. You're, you're $22 trillion in debt and it's growing and you're going by a trillion dollars a year. So yes, you can afford them. But for me, it's about you're not getting the best out of what you should do. And let me give you a prime example. And, you know, I'm not going to attack, it's not about Trump, it's not about Obama. Let me give you a historical example of George Bush. You guys haven't had the right foreign policy for the longest time. You know, anyone who thought, and again, I'm being respectful here, I'm not being, I'm not trying to be hurtful or mean, um, but I'm just being honest. Anyone who thought George Bush's democracy project would work in Iraq seriously had, is either crazy or has no idea of the situation in Iraq. Let me give you the situation. This idea of democracy right where basically 50 percent plus one percent one person of the voting public vote that's what happens they get power you have a situation in iraq with sunni and shias where they hate each other you think putting democracy in that country is going to be successful that's going to yeah gee that's going to work no it's not because what's going to happen is one side is going to get power and they're going to enforce their will on another now i'd expect that to come from england i'd expect that to come from ireland i'd expect that to come from europe because they know no better that's all the system they know the american foreign policy americans foreign policy should be you know what let's have this situation where oh i don't know we have a bill of rights and here's what we do. We're going to separate the Sunnis and the Shias. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down on that piece of paper how many rights you think are for everyone, whether you're Sunni, Shia, Christian, atheist, whatever. And even if they only write down one, you get the other side to do the exact same thing. And you build a Bill of Rights or a Charter of Liberties or whatever you want to call it and set that system of government up. And then you talk about your constitutional government where, you know what, you have a house which is elected every two years, you have a senate which is elected every six years, you have a president that's elected every four, and each of them have different roles. Now let them decide, you're not importing a direct that the president has no power, and Article 1 has this, and Article 2 has this. You're not doing it. You're just giving them the idea, the framework. Let them fill in what the powers, the rights, and the responsibilities are, and who's elected every so often. But that you have this system of government would that work i don't know but gee isn't it better than democracy so how do you get out of these non-stop wars have a clear foreign policy have a clear foreign policy of what you're for what you're against which leads me to the next question and this is a very broad question i'm so i'm just going to answer it really quickly thoughts on the trump foreign policy doctrine this is too big to answer because I've gone through many different aspects and the person, when I asked them to be more specific, they didn't answer. Look, I've been very critical and, and praiseworthy of the president on different aspects of foreign policy. I know and I've got the hate for both sides of it. Let's talk about the bad. I'm not a big fan of he, uh, the president. And this is not a Trump thing. I'm not a fan of any president of America when you understand the way I see America. The idea of individual liberty, of freedoms, of rights talking any way positively about any brutal dictator kim jong-un the ayatollah vladimir putin i know the actions are different to the words but i'm just a guy who will never be like yeah they're a good guy no no they're not they're tug they're the evil empire and they should be called as such in my opinion i'm a reagan foreign policy guy in that aspect but on the positive side gee it's hard to argue with what's happening in israel now, Israel's having its own crisis, which I'm sure we'll be discussing in the new year, where they're, they're literally have just called this week where they can't, no one can form a government. They're going to the polls yet again. Israel is in a big state of crisis. And how that election goes, 
could mean bad things for Israel and security. But the Trump foreign policy doctrine on, you know what, let's talk about the settlements. They're not illegal. Let's talk about moving the embassy. No, actually, let's not talk about moving the embassy. Let's actually move it from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Spot on. Let's talk about the him calling out the United Nations for the bullcrap they promote. Absolutely spot on. You know, this idea has to be good or bad. If you are for the Trump foreign policy doctrine, you don't have to be for Edmonton. If you're against it, you don't have to be against it. It's not this binary choice or is it good or is it bad. If you make things about principles, you go and have the full disclosure. This is good. This is bad. This is what I do different. Last question on foreign policy. You're an Irishman. Is America really more respected overseas under Trump? Okay, if you're a Trump supporter, you're not going to like the answer to this. No. No. And I can only say but what I see. And this is not a slam on Trump. This is not saying Trump is bad. This is just simply saying, in the world and in the media, if you're a Republican, you're never going to get the plaudits you deserve. If you could literally stand on your head, you're not going to get it. If you're a Democrat, good, Republican, bad. Trump is just happens to be the, the latest Republican, and he's worse than the last one in the, the eyes of the media and the eyes of the world leaders. Just not going to work out. Now, maybe you're more respect in the sense of, well, what you say you do. Okay, I can see that. But I, respect, is a, that's a very fine, that's a very, you know, word you have to use very carefully. But, you know, are you treated differently? I think they take you more seriously than they did by Obama. But Obama, they kind of saw as the cool guy. You know, it wasn't just the American media and Chris Matthews, oh, I got to trill up my leg with that speech. No, it was people, they saw him as this cool, approachable guy. He was this, you know, you know, Chicago liberal and, you know, he's laid back and, you know, he spoke really eloquently. He didn't, but that's the way they saw him. And he was just awesome. They were just inspired by him because he was just like them. Trump isn't. So they're never going to like that. As I say, Trump could stand on his head. They're not going to give him respect. They go, what a dummy. All the blood is going to go to his head. He'll fall over. You know, it, it, it's, if you're looking for respect, don't look for it if you're a Republican. Just, you're, you're onto a losing battle. Is it important to have respect? I don't know. That's up for you guys to decide. But when it comes to foreign policy, I'd much rather be right than respected. And that's just my opinion. And that's where you guys are going to have to ask yourself, um, what's important. Sorry, there is one more question. Um, your boss, Glenn Beck, has recently done a great special on Hydra and the State Department. What are your thoughts? Again, a very broad question. I think it's great work. And I think it's really scary. But it's a problem about unelected bureaucrats, which we spoke about earlier on in the show. The State Department do not know better. You know, if you looked and listened to all the experts. And, I, and this is the problem. You know, if there's a team of, for people who want to fix America, the first solution, I believe, is this is to actually question yourself and kind of go, are both sides part of the problem? And I think you can form a coalition if you're honest and say, yes. Because if you look at foreign policy, look at what people like John McCain and Lindsey Graham have said. Look at who they were for and then look at who they were against. Who's consistent? Look at the left. You know, there's a lot of problems in the State Department. You know, there's a lot of things in your country you have not had the answers to. You know, look at Benghazi. Really bad days. You know, you look at all the the foreign policy expert. Oh my God, if Trump moves the embassy to Jerusalem, it'll be chaos in the Middle East. Literally, people will die. Yeah, guess what? It didn't happen. 
oh my god if trump says that the settlements are undisputed and it's not a, it's not the america supports them it'll be chaos and cr- people will die didn't happen oh my god if trump pulls out of the iran agreement the world will end as we know yeah it didn't happen you know these foreign policy experts and i i polit- politically wise and media wise they're all hacks they're all just trying to sell a narrative they're all trying to sell a fear so i think if you want to start solving things, you need to start actually having conversations with each other. And that is why I think there's a narrative out there that's once the politicians and the media know this, that they know if you guys actually say, you know what, screw you, screw you, you're wrong, you're wrong. Let's just have a conversation amongst ourselves. And you actually start talking, even if you're left or right, and you actually start having consensus and actually are respectful to each other, they know they lose. And this is on foreign policy, but it's also on the constitution. It's also on government. So that is my, that would be my answer. But the State Department has a lot of problems. But the answer is, again, I hate to sound like a broken record. Excuse me, the constitution. If you want to understand where your problems have started, it's all these unelected bureaucrats in the State Department and all these different agencies. If President John Dunn was president of the United States, my cabinet would probably look like this. Vice president. Attorney General, Department of War, Department of State, but it'd be very different. And I go back and forth between Treasury, whether I really want one or not. But that, you know, that's a, that's a debate for another day. I get rid of all these unelected bureaucrats. I get rid of all these agencies, get rid of all these bodies, the EPA, energy, education. Obviously, state is slightly different, but you know, it's over foreign policy, but it's understanding that they are held to the responsible. That there has to be oversight and it has to be independent. That is how you make these changes. What you have to understand, and this is what I've said to you guys before. Don't tell me what you're against, tell me what you're for. If you're really unhappy with your government, make the case for what you're for. That's what I'm going to be doing next year a lot, a lot more. Well, if you've made it to this part of the show, you'd be delighted to know this is the last segment. And on a programming note, this is the last show of 2019, the last show of the 2010s, because I'm on Christmas vacation for the next couple of weeks because my Irish job is crazy busy. And also, I have a lot of planning for 2020. So we'll be back the first Saturday in January. And I've got a lot of things I'm excited about next year, which I'll talk to you about then. But there's going to be a lot of specials and there's going to be a lot more of me around. Um, which I'll talk to you about. So there's a couple of personal questions I have to answer, and I want to go through all these pretty quickly. John, I love your show, but I want to do my own podcast. Any tips? Any tips? Get out, buy a mic. The great thing about technology and innovation and the world we live in, you can do a show by yourself um, very quickly. You know, go on to, I use Audacity, and buy yourself a microphone off Amazon. You can buy one for like 20 bucks. Start small, buy a microphone, Audacity, Upload to a platform, maybe reach out to some people, you know, maybe like Mojo or places like this. And when you get a bit of experience, say, this is what you want to do. It's your, if it's a hobby or a career and just get out there and start, um, learning and just keep getting your message out there. Keep refining it. Um, another question that was linked to this was how much work goes into your show each week? A lot. I know it might seem like it, but you know, to read stuff, to listen to stuff, to, to analyze stuff. 
um, the one thing that you have to do is you have to find out what you're, what you are a passionate about is the big thing. So why I do what I do is I don't care about sides. Everything comes back to a principle. So I'm literally reading stuff every week and kind of going, I can't talk about that. That's why I avoid politics. Cause I'm like, I look at the politics and I kind of go, you guys have heard it from so many people who are more knowledgeable about your system, about your politics and can give you the narrative or the lines that they want. I can't. So my narrative is principles. I read stuff and I kind of go, okay, I can break this down to a principle. Why, what is the principle? What is the core principle? What is the constitutional answer? And I'm not saying, hey, how awesome I am or how great I am, but that's what I try and do. Whether I succeed or fail is up to you guys. But the one thing I will stress this, and I say this to everyone, and I've given this advice as someone who's been, you know, head of internet radio stations is be yourself. Don't try and be the amount of people who I meet are like, I want to be the next Glenn Beck. I want to be the next Mark Levin. I want to be the next Jonathan Dunn. Why you want to be me? I don't know, but don't be that. Be the first you, because if people want to listen, like, and I say this as someone who, you know, people say I'm similar to Glenn and have given me some really nice compliments with my speeches. I'm like, I don't want to be the next Glenn because Glenn's better than me and Glenn's more different than me. If people want to see Glenn, they'll see Glenn, but I have my own story. Glenn can't touch it. No one else can say this, have the story, whether you agree with me or disagree with me or like me or hate me. No one can tell you my story because I'm unique. So be you. Julie asks, love how much you you love and uh, acknowledge our history um, that you've stored in your brain, how you live and to use it to empower Americans. I love your love for America. That being said, why not your own country? It is rich in history and extremely beautiful. Why is your heart tied more to America than your own? Because... First off, there's a lot of family issues in my family and I don't have a love for it and there's, I won't bore you with the details. But the reason I love your nation is because it's unique. It's exceptional. Ireland is a really nice nation. It's got a, it's history. I would say is kind of dull and boring. But then that's just been honest. Um, it is a lovely country. It's got beautiful scenery. The people are pretty nice most of the time. Um, just don't get in their way in the mall or in the car park. And then they're like everyone else. They're really bad people. Um, but generally they're pretty nice, but you don't have the history America has. You don't have the understanding of nature's law and nature's God. You don't have the understanding of freedom. You don't have the understanding of leaving people alone because Ireland is like every other nation in the sense of it thinks it can tell you what to do if enough people agree with you. I don't, I don't agree with that. And, you know, this idea of freedom, this idea of freedom, I believe is it's a human condition, but it's also a biblical principle to me because I believe freedom is heavily linked in the Bible because I believe, and I'm going to try and convert you to Jesus here, but God's greatest gift to the world, free choice. It's up to you how you use it. Sometimes free choice is wonderful. People use it really well and smart. Other times they use free choice and it sucks. But if God can put up with it, so can I. Now to one of my critics, and it's it's meant in the nicest possible way. John, long-term listener here. Your first show of 2019, you said, by the end of this year, 2019, you'll be living in America. You failed. You told us to call you out. So this is me calling you out. Why did you fail? Um, Because moving to your country legally is extremely hard. Um, if I said, screw Americans rule, I'm just coming and here I am. Everyone would bend over backwards to help me and just get me there. And that's including Republicans and Democrats. Um, it's hard to get into your country legally and to do things right. It's, it's really, really hard. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. It's 
it's not by choice, let me tell you that. It's, if I had a magic wand, I'd be in your country living there, but it's tough. And short of marriage, which is such a long, long shot for me. You know, I know you guys don't get it, and you, you some people are very uncomfortable when I say how bad I am at dating, but, you know, my longest relationship is probably six weeks with a girl. Um, and some of the longer relationships were with a couple of American girls who are great, but, you know, I never really saw them. So can you really say I was in a relationship for, what, three, four months with someone and we didn't see each other? I don't think so. Or maybe you can, but it's just different. It's not living with someone. So, you know, selling someone like that, it's like, it's like saying, you know, I, the longest I've hit a ball in, in a baseball field is 90 feet, but I'm now all of a sudden going to hit a home run. So, um, it's, it, that's the only way. That being said, the person also asked, what are my goals for 2020 and how can they help? So here's where I want to talk to you for a minute. I don't want to give too much away because I'm still working on it, but if everything goes my way and I get a bit of luck, I will be in your country from late June in 2020 till early December 2020. Honestly, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I don't see a way, bar marriage, I can get into your country legally to live. I'm okay with that. I'm worried, more worried about where your country is going right now and what's happening in your culture. My goal for 2020 is this. I believe I have a message to share. I believe my opinion, my outlook, my view of America is unique, is ex- is maybe exceptional in the sense that there's not many people who can say it the way I can. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else, but I am saying I'm confident in my abilities and I think I can add something to your culture. I also think 2020 being the 400-year anniversary of the Mayflower gives me a perfect opportunity to talk about the founding of your America, the principles you wear on. What are my goals? Obviously, there's a lot to... I got to worry about funding it because living in your country is not cheap. And if you can imagine living in a hotel or, you know, even basic hotels, because I'm not a, you know, posh guy. I need to stay in a forest. I'm not that person. I'll be staying in Airbnbs and local places, you know, hiring a car. But, you know, six, I'm talking about going for five months. It's going to be extremely expensive. So I need to find a way to fund it. I'll be largely self-funding it. I also need to apply for special visas from your government and answer a lot of questions and, I have no idea if I'll get it, but what can you do? Here are the two things I can ask you. First of all, pray for me. Pray for me that I find the inner confidence that lets me overcome my fears, because here's where I'll be honest with you. I believe in the message. I believe in the principles. I struggle to believe in myself, and I've discussed this at length in the past about how I see myself and my own personal demons about how I feel. But I struggle with it a lot. I struggle with, you can't make a difference. You can't change the world. And I listen to these bad voices in my head and I want to give up everything. And it's a constant daily, hourly struggle for me. So give me, pray for me the strength. But also, if you know locations that would be open to having someone like me, please message me with them, and I'll apply for them. And I'm not looking for introductions, but if you go to me, hey, there's this group, they, you know, here's their website, I'll message them and see if there's interest. That's what you can do to help me, and that's how you can pray for me. 
A um, couple of finite quick questions, a uh, load of different ones. So I asked for some Yankee questions, and I got them. You guys are awesome, by the way. I asked for some Yankee questions, this, and I joke, joke you not, this is the first question. Hey, John, you want some Yankee questions? Here you go. Why did the Yankee suck so much? <laughs> oh, everyone's a critic. Um yeah, everyone's a critic. Everyone loves you all guys love the Yankees. Um they don't suck. They won the World Series twenty seven times. No one else has even won it, what, ten? So clearly if that's sucking, I want to do more sucking. Um Kirsty asks, why did you side on the Yankees? It's not really an interesting story. If you understand where I first visited in America, it makes sense. My first visit several visits were Florida. My second couple of visits were in New York. I started going to games. I support all the New York teams. I'm a Yankee. I'm obviously a very vocal Yankee fan. I'm also a Giants fan. I'm also a Rangers fan. I'm also a Knicks fan. I'm also a Liberty fan. I'm a New York. Jeez, the, 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 the Mr. Constitutional has New York values. Um, so that's why I decided on, on the Yankees. Um, ben asks, in what way, if any, do the Yankees embody the principles of America that you're always espousing? Great question. Here's the answer for you. Because they always want to do the best they can. Literally, it's win the World Series or bust. Um, you know, whether you guys hate it or not. You know, other teams, like, and I give them a lot of credit, like the Astros. Everyone loves the Astros. But to get to the Astros, they sucked for a long time and got a lot of first-round draft picks. First pick in the first round. The Yankees don't do that. The Yankees rebuild. The Yankees always are competitive. It's always about being the best. And I respect that. Am I a closet Yankee fan in the sense everything is great? No. I don't like some of the Steinbrenner's things that they've done. Um, I think some of their rules are stupid about facial hair. I'm not a, I'm a principal guy, even when it comes to sports. I'll call them out when they do bad things. I got this question, which is too late to answer. Do they think, do I think they'll sign Jared Cole and why? They did. I don't know anything about it because this week has been crazy, but I heard nine years and like 36 million per year. By the way, I'm in the wrong industry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 36 million a year. Oh my God. But hey, you know what? Great money if you can buy it. If you can be a pitcher and make 30-something starts and get 36 million a year, God bless you, son. And the last question is... Oh, sorry, a couple of more quick questions for you. Um, these are all really quick answers. One, who's your favorite founding father? George Washington. They, they sent a follow-up question. I'm guessing you're going to say George Washington. Apart from him, who? I thought about this for a long time, and I, it's really, really hard to answer that. But I'm going to give you Thomas Jefferson for the reason is that he wrote the Declaration of Independence, and I believe that is the foundational stone of everything else you have done. Um, my favorite amendment I answered earlier on, the 10th. John, what's it like to work for the Blaze? This is a really hard question to answer. Technically, I don't work for the Blaze. I'm not an employee. I'm not paid for anything I do. I'm a volunteer for the Blaze. Um, uh it's tough. It's it there it's a you know it's it's a tough industry. Um trying to do my best. I don't have everyone always thinks the disadvantage of working with the Blaze is everyone thinks, Oh John, can you get this to Glenn for me? Can you get I don't have contact with Glenn, I don't have contact with a lot of people. I send my show to the producer of this show and very little you know, anyone else. I've a contact with a few friends, but you know, I'm in Ireland, I'm six thousand miles away. So it's a it's a different you know, different way of life. But I will say this, the Blaze Studios is incredible. Anytime I've met with people, they've always been really nice, so I have no issues. Um trying to flick through these last few questions. Uh Marie, how do you stay positive and keep your fate when it feels like everything's falling apart? This is the last question of the day. 
How do I stay positive? Gee, it's hard. And if you're asking me personally, I I really struggle because of my own demons and my own issues. But what gives me faith is I'm not playing for a side. I'm playing for something bigger. This is obviously an easier question to answer as a Christian. You know, because the principles I talk to about are eternal. So there's times I feel like you where I just go, oh, America's over. There are times I feel there's no hope. There are times I feel like things are never going to change. And then I just remember history. I remember, you know, history from a biblical point of view. I remember principles from a, a American point of view and a world point of view. And I understand the battles we're facing are not new. They're not unique. Every generation has had them. And every generation of Americans has only, always overcome them. But also I stay positive through, look at how good things have got. You know, like, I always say this as a joke, but the idea of indoor plumbing in the history of the world, whether you believe it's 5,000 years old or 6 billion years old, is still a relatively new idea. We live really comfortable lives today. I can talk to you from 6,000 miles away. So the positivity can come from looking around the innovation, this idea that things can get better. Yes, you can see problems or you can see solutions. You can see opportunity. I see a lot of opportunities in 2020. Am I here to say everything's going to be easy and we all sing kumbaya and it'll all happen overnight? No. It will take work. But everything worthwhile takes work. So how do I keep my faith? It's when I feel like everything's falling apart. Just see the bigger picture. Take a step back. That's one of the things I'm going to be doing for the next two weeks. I'm just taking a break from media. I'm not going to be on social media a lot. I'm going to switch it off. I'm deleting it from my iPad. Just I need a break just to get away from things. So... That's what I'm doing. But um, that's my dog going crazy. And he's telling me, get off this show. They're bored of you already. And in all seriousness, I think it was a, it was either, I'm going to guess, either someone knocked on the door and he doesn't like it, or he saw a dog outside. Yeah, usually sends him crazy. He's like, all those liberal dogs. There's Democrats supporting dogs. Let me tell you what I think of you. Um, But thank you so much for this, making this possible, this Ask Me Anything. I hope it's given you some insight. I hope it's given you some something to think about, something to ponder on. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support this year, but also for those of you who are listening a very long time for, you know, five, six years. It's been an amazing journey. And in 2020, I have a lot of things I'm going to do. Hopefully, please God, I'm going to share a message the best I can because 2020 is a great opportunity. And I want to wish each and every one of you listen, whether you love me or whether you hate me or whatever you feel about me. I want to wish you and yours a very peaceful and very prosperous Christmas. And hopefully 2020 is the start of a new year, but also start of a new decade. You have two choices. You can either think everything's hopeless. We can all get down and in the dumps. We can worry and cause ourselves all types of panic. Or we can see hope. We can say, you know what? Things are bad, but we can make them better. You know what? Things are really troubling. And there's a lot of issues we face. But my God, how great will it be in 21 or 22 when we've overcome them? Or maybe it's 2030, ever how long it takes, that we can look back and say, we really, really achieved something. That we made freedom cool again. That we made federalism cool again. That we made the Constitution be followed again. That's exciting. People will write about us if we do it. How exciting is that? If you need that motive, incentivization, there it is for you. And we finish this show the way we always do. We salute your people, who your men and women who serve, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, 
I finish the show the way I always do for the same reason. Reminding you America's secret sauce. America is great because Americans are good. That's whether you're Republican or Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, Liberal, whatever label you go by. America is great because Americans are good. Until the start of January in 2020, you all have a very peaceful week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.